Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. Welcome to Skyline. My name is Jonathan, and I am really glad to be here this morning and share this week out of Galatians 5. We're in a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, so just to dig in, I'm just going to read the text, and then we'll just really get started. So Galatians 5, if you have your Bible, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. And this is what we have been talking about week in and week out, is how do we live in by the Spirit rather than the flesh? And this week, it's been fascinating as as I have been considering the fruit that we're going to discuss, the fruit of, of goodness uh, it's like I've just been struggling with what does this look like to, to share with a group of people? What, what is goodness? If I asked you to describe goodness right now, I bet you couldn't do it. And I bet you especially couldn't do it without using the word good. So you, you have to use the word good to describe, like, you know, you're getting that circular thing where, like, what does good mean? Well, it means, like, goodness. Well, what does goodness mean? Oh, it means a good, something good. And you're like, how do, you, how do you come to this awareness of goodness? How do you help somebody be good, right? And if you're like me, helping somebody be good looks like Jim Carrey on Liar Liar, where he's just like, stop breaking the law. Like, you're just like, come on, just stop being bad is how you be good, right? Anybody grew up feeling like that, that way? I was, uh, Annie, we had um, parent-teacher conferences the last few weeks, and those caused a lot of anxiety in my life because all of mine were, were bad growing up. My parents, I mean, like, they're like, we love him, but he drives me crazy. He never stops talking. He never sits still. He's always trying to be funny. And so our kids have the best. They're just doing so great. And I'm like, oh, Annie, they got your side of like character. Because I'm just, because it makes me so nervous to this day. If somebody calls me like, I want to meet, I think I'm going to the principal's office. My first thing is, what did I do wrong? I know it's something. I just don't know what it is. And it's terrifying. But it's like this thing of just being good. And for those of you who are like me, when you heard just be good, you're like, yeah, but I can't. Like, I'm not one of those people who's just naturally good at, you know, like the things that I should be good at when I read the Bible. I'm like, I, I stink at a lot of this stuff. 
And it's fascinating because when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we approach Christianity like anything else we want to be good at. If you want to be good at being a Christian, we assume that we can attain this in the same way that we attain any other achievement. We come to this life in the kingdom like we do improving our golf swing or our jump shot or our communication skills. We work hard, we read a lot, we search for helpful tips and hacks, we download apps, we listen to podcasts, we try to piece together what we can to do what we believe we should, it's we should be good, right? <laughs> like, we should be good. And, and many times that translates into, very quickly after that, we should be better than we are currently. Like, I should be farther along. I should be better at this thing. I've grown up in church. I've heard every verse, every worship song. I should be better at these things. So what we do is we apply what we know to what we want and what we apply like everything else, we just give it blood, sweat, and tears. We gut it out, we work hard. And the problem with this is from the beginning, what you do is you set the ceiling at your own human effort. You're like, my life will be as good as I can be. And you just start out with a a ceiling over you. You place God in the passenger seat because it's like God just wants you to be good. He's watching, so be good. And then you set yourself up for all sorts of disappointment, right? At your own inadequacy and insufficiency. And you come to realize that your spiritual bootstraps are much harder to pull up than you realized, right? It's like, man, I just keep struggling at the same things. I have the same sin patterns. I make the same mistakes, And then after this comes the temptation of pessimism and cynicism and ultimately despair that maybe this whole Christianity thing is just a sham because it just hasn't worked for me. How many of you have friends that you're like, I have a friend who's like, Christianity just doesn't work. It works for you, but it doesn't work for me. I tried it and I failed at it. You try the whole Jesus thing, the whole church thing, the whole Christianity thing, and it just leaves people sometimes disillusioned and discouraged. And I think this is probably, at its core, a problem with how the fruit of the Spirit uh, are experienced and taught. Many times, if you grew up in church, we preach about the fruit of the Spirit as a how-to guide. They're uh, prescriptive, right? It's four pathways to peace, three principles for patience, five easy ways to to joy. And it kind of feels like you too can have self-control, right? For the low, low price of just getting your stuff together. And you're just like, that's great. Where can I, you know, the ad scene on TV. It's like an infomercial. And they, they trot somebody up there who's just really good naturally at something. They tell their stories about all their tips and tricks of how to have patience. And you just go, <laughs> how many of you like heard that? You're like, I've tried that. It doesn't work. I counted to five. And I was still angry. <laughs> I counted to 500. And I was still mad. It's just like this thing, you're like, it just hasn't worked. When you give a prescription to people who are prone to believe they need to earn God's love and kindness, they immediately go to box checking mode. They start to say, what do I need to do to please God? What are the laws? What are the commands? And how do I do them in a way that makes me good or even better than the person next to me? Because if I can just be a little bit better than them, at least that lets me off the hook. But the problem is the life of the Spirit is not about performance, it's about participation. It's about participating in His life, and participation is different than we assume. 
And what's happening and why I've been struggling with this series is because we end up in the middle of this thing of, is it good to use your human effort, wisdom, skill to become better at patience? Yes. Like, it's okay to read books and listen to podcasts, and, and it's okay to try, but that isn't the fruit of the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is wholly produced by Him in you, and it comes out through Him. It's not about your power, it's about His power. And so we have to make really clear where our effort, skill, ability, talent, gifts in, end, and how much better, bigger, more lasting His work is in and through us. And so we want to make sure that we... Um, do this the right way. So here's one tidbit this week that I feel like I discovered. You ever get an epiphany where you're like, I have been reading this passage for 25 years and I never saw this. And I think I'm right. Okay, so I'm going to preach it like I'm mostly right. I think I'm right about this. But like if you look at your Bible, it isn't the fruits of the Holy Spirit. There's no S on that word. If you look up the Greek, it's a singular noun. It is the fruit of of the Holy Spirit, which means this is one cluster that comes out of your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Like this stuff, joy, it, it is all part of one piece of fruit and you either have the whole thing or you have none of it. I mean, I, I literally read that this week and I was like, because it wasn't like I read that and like, oh, I stink at joy. I really need to get better at joy, but I'm awesome at love. Right, but like, can you be patient and unkind? I mean, I literally said in my office room, like, this is so weird. I've never had these thoughts before. You probably had them. Oh, you guys probably like, duh. You're a pastor. <laughs> Read your Bible much? Like, I, but I, I literally was like, can you have patience if you don't have peace? Right? Can you have self-control if you're not in love? If you're not like <laughs> walking in love? It's this wild thing. There's no such thing as being 40% spirit-led. Like, how are you doing today? I'm 35. Ah, 60% spirit-led. You're, you're either spirit-led. You're either in the spirit or not. I had this picture in my head. Can you imagine? It's like, well, John was mostly in the spirit on the Lord's day, Right? Revelation, and it's basically like John's legs are dangling in this universe while his like torso, and he's like, isn't this weird? And they're like, no, it's like, he's like, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, which means I was with him fully. I like left this place, and we, we had somebody describe at the men's retreat this last week, it was like, I like left. I was like, I was gone <laughs> from my body. I experienced the Lord. Like, I, like, that's what Jesus does when you're in the spirit. You're like, he has fully taken control. And it's this thing of, of um, how we've been studying this, the way to teach and experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit is simply to put the character and nature of God on display and invite people to experience it, to come in and know the Holy Spirit as a person, to experience his power and presence rather than leave, leaving us to ourselves to be like, where do you rate on the nine different fruits? No, he says, no, no, if you're in me, you have all of these things. You possess it all. And that's what I, I've realized when I am abiding in Jesus, when I am connected to him, I am living, walking, thinking, praying in the spirit. Friends, I, I have love and peace and patience and joy, not because I'm good, 
but because I have actually lost myself in those moments. Like I, I have been hidden in Christ. And it's not I that live, but he that lives in me. And there are moments and times and maybe even tiny little seasons where the Holy Spirit has taken control of my life. I've surrendered to him and I'm walking in him. And I'm like, wow, I am not a patient person. And yet I just had this meeting where I was just like, whatever you want, Lord. It's, it's just yours. I'm, I've just, I've given up all timing. I've given up all desire to control and I'm like, you're in charge, Jesus. So now, I think it honestly comes down to like heart posture, right? If you're growing in wisdom and stature like Jesus from a heart of humility and service, then that's great. Keep growing naturally. But if you're growing because you value your reputation or it helps you acquire riches or it hides sin or it brings you power, we have to question, right? Am I actually getting the fruit of the spirit or am I getting just the common grace of what God offers all human beings who live wisely? That's not a bad thing. But if you put those two together, that's where the fire is at, <laughs> right? Someone who's like, man, I, I want everything God has in common grace in this world. I want every bit of wisdom and joy and piece of art and beauty that, that has ever existed. But I also want to take all that stuff through the spirit. I want to encounter it through him. Athanasius Church father said this, for God is good, or rather, all goodness, of all goodness, he is the fountainhead. So how do we understand goodness? The only way you understand goodness is to know God, is to experience him. He is the fountainhead of all goodness. Psalm 31, 19 says, oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. God, since the beginning of time, has been storing up for you abundant goodness. Remember the other week we said God has unlimited patience? Well, guess what? He has unlimited patience so that he can pour out his abundant goodness on you. He has stored it up. He is saving for you. <laughs> he has put aside goodness. He's planned well to take his goodness and have it ready to pour out in your life. Psalm 145, 7, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The fame of God's abundant goodness. Jeremiah 31, they shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion. They shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young, the flock, and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden. The goodness of God is like rain that falls on soil and produces crops and goodness. God, his abundant goodness, they'll be radiant and find this theme. What do people do when they encounter the goodness of God? They sing and shout and worship. They get overcome by his goodness. Jeremiah 31, I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance. Isn't that beautiful? God says, I see your worship and I am bringing to you a meal for you to feast on my goodness in my presence. I want you to know me. My people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Zechariah 9, 17, for how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish and new wine, the young women. God says, I sustain you with my provision and it's good. Not only is it good, it's great goodness. <laughs> it's like it's, it's overflowing, abundant 
goodness. So, so this morning, like, rather than prescribe to you what I think goodness looks like or the actions that you take to feel like you are good or to justify yourself, I think what we have to do is we have to look at his goodness and we have to come to encounter and experience his goodness in ways that it overwhelms us and we just kind of let go, right? And let that wash over us and flow through us. And that is so freeing, friends, because God doesn't create me for me to be good. God created me because he is good. And his goodness gets demonstrated as I live, worship, serve, love him. That's it. That's my only job is to do all of that and trust him with everything else. Seek first the kingdom of God for all these things. I've got all these things. I will add them to you. So I came across a verse this week that really hit me, and I think it's fascinating about this idea of encountering and experiencing God's goodness in Exodus 33. You can turn there if you want. I think it's about verse 12, 33-12. It says, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not, let yet, uh, you've not yet let me know with whom you'll send me. You have said, I know you by name. You have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways. Isn't that interesting? His first question is, teach me to do the stuff. Like, we always just kind of want to know first what to do. So that I may, but listen, why? So that I may know you. It's like he's getting to the point. Moses is getting past his kind of humanity and he's getting to the right place and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. The Lord says this, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? This is why we're a worshiping community. Because the Bible says that what distinguishes us from all other people is the presence of God in our midst and nothing else. It's not our morality. It's not our teaching. It's not how good we are. It is his manifest, real, living presence in our midst that sets us apart from all other peoples on the earth. The Lord, so pleased with Moses, he says, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses makes the big ask, show me your glory. Isn't that awesome? He didn't say, make me good. Make me a better leader. Give me strength, authority, power, wisdom, all this stuff. He's like, no, 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 no. Just let me see your glory. And the Lord says this, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I'll pass all my goodness in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He's like, I'm God, you're not. But you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Isn't this interesting? Moses said, I want to see your glory. And God says, my glory is my goodness. It's my, my goodness is what makes me glorious. There's no other being who is all good. <laughs> all the time, who has never had any shade of any other thing in their existence. He's like, I am good and I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. And then what does it say? It's that God does this and what happens to Moses? His face radiates, like the scripture earlier said, his face shines because he's encountered the goodness of God 
And it literally, this spiritual reality has a physical effect in the face of Moses. And everyone would know that Moses was with God because every time he was with God, his face would shine. Have you guys ever met somebody who it felt like their face was shining? Like, it was like the goodness of God was on them. Uh, uh, Christina, I want to point you out, like Christina, uh, she got baptized yeah, a few months ago, but it was like one time where somebody's like, hey, who's that new lady at church whose face is always shining? And I was like, oh, her name's Christina. She just met Jesus. Her life's been radically changed. And I'm like, that makes sense that her face is shining because she's with the Lord. <laughs> she met him and you're like, you can't help but like <gasps> shine. That's the point of Christianity is to shine, right? Let your light shine. Where does your light come? It comes from him. It comes from his presence. When you get into his goodness, you shine. Brennan Manning says this, a saint is not someone who is good, but who experiences the goodness of God. It's not that we're good. And so if we've thought that, we've gotten it wrong. Those people in church, they're like, oh, they're just so good. They're not good. And they're definitely not better than you. And they haven't discovered some secret other than maybe they discovered the secret of his presence and his deep love for them. And they just (laughs) surrendered to it, right? St. Basil is getting a shout out again. Chase, where's Chase at? Two weeks in a row. Boom, the Basilites. Um, As it is impossible to verbally describe the sweetness of honey to one who has never tasted honey, so the goodness of God cannot be clearly communicated by way of teaching if we ourselves are not able to penetrate into the goodness of the Lord by our own experience. Bam. Isn't that amazing? Like so much of Christianity is trying to tell people what something tastes like that we've never tasted. And it's just like, I think it's really awesome. And you're like, well, tell me about it. And you're like, ah, you know, because you read the Bible and you're like, have you experienced that? And you're like, no, but I know it's true. Then you meet somebody who's like, man, I have been healed, delivered, saved, rescued, reconciled, restored. It's, it happened to me. And all of a sudden they're like, oh. I mean, your heart comes alive when you meet somebody who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. God's goodness is his glory. When, God asked to see, uh, when Moses asked to see God's glory, he had no idea what he was actually asking for. He couldn't even conceptualize, but God blessed him with this. So I, I just want to talk about God's goodness for three types of people this morning, and then we're just going to, we're going to close, we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to give us this morning an encounter with his goodness, that like just, like this downpour. The first one is just God's goodness for sinners. God displays his goodness in how he loves people that no one else would love. Paul says this, he says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was a man that no society loves. In fact, they take those people and they lock them up. And yet God loved Saul. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me, listen, abundantly. along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Those who have experienced the ultimate of God's goodness know that they're on the other end of the spectrum. (laughs) 
If you've experienced his goodness, you're like, I'm the worst sinner. Whether or not you really are the worst sinner, in reality, you just know I don't deserve anything from God. He has given me everything and I have given him nothing. I don't deserve another breath. And yet God loves me. He loves me. Near the city of San uh, Jose de Campos in Brazil, there's this remarkable facility. And um, it's probably about 40 years ago now. And I don't know if this still exists, but this is a story I read in college that really impacted me. This, uh, the government of Brazil turned this facility, this prison, over to two Christians. And the institution was renamed hum- Humatia. It's like humanity. We want humanity restored to people. And the plan was to run it on Christian principles. With the exception of two full-time staff, all the work was done by inmates. Families outside the prison adopt an inmate to work with during and after his term. Chuck Colson, if you know him from Prison Fellowship, he visited the prison and he made this report. He said, when I visited Humatia, I found the inmates smiling, particularly the murderer who held the keys, opened the gates, and let me in. Wherever I walked, I saw men at peace. I saw clean living areas, people who worked industriously. The walls were decorated with biblical sayings from the Psalms and the Proverbs. My guide escorted me to the notorious prison cell once used for torture. Today, he told me the block houses only a single inmate. As we reached the end of a long concrete corridor, as he put the key in the lock, he paused and asked, are you sure you want to go in? Of course, I replied, I replied impatiently. I've been in isolation cells all over the world. Slowly, he swung the door open, this massive door, and I saw the prisoner in that punishment cell, a crucifix, beautifully carved by the Humatia inmates. The prisoner, Jesus, hanging on a cross. He's doing time for the rest of us. The prisoner guy said softly, God's goodness is for sinners. <laughs> It is for the beat up, the dragged out, the least, the last, and the lost. And it's for you because you're one of those, whether you want to admit it or not. Whether you know it or not, we all were sinners. And we all live in the shadow of either who we are or who we were or who we might be someday because we have no idea where our life is going. And yet God loves us. His goodness is for us. God's goodness is also for the self-righteous. So Paul says, I persecuted Jesus, right, out of righteousness. I thought I was obeying and being faithful to the Torah, to, to this Jewish culture thing, and yet I was so wrong. There's, a, there's a, an author named Flannery O'Connor. I don't know how many of you know that, uh, a Catholic lady in the 1940s, 50s. And uh, she wrote a short story about... Um, a sinfully, this is a description, a sinfully proud, self-righteous, middle-aged, middle-class, rural, white, southern woman. <laughs> that her confidence in her own Christian salvation is an error. Some of you might be like, you have a picture of somebody. Like, I went to church with that lady. Um, she describes this lady who is just so self-righteous, so happy with herself, so um, convinced that she's good and everyone else is bad and her her ire is mostly aimed at white trash people and black people in this story. And she hovers above them in this entire story because she's good and knows how to live well, knows how to be good, knows how to be courteous and kind and be cultured and all this stuff. And thank God I'm not like those people. And she goes through this, this story and she ends up having somebody attacks her. <laughs> 
throws a book at her face and beats her up, and it was this white trash in her mind. White trash lady attacks her, and she just has this this kind of crisis of identity because she's like, how dare? And this lady says, you go to hell, you ugly warthog. And she thought, who are you to to say I go to hell and that I'm, I'm an, it's just like this, but it pierced this, this thing of somebody actually seeing who she was pierced her. It says, at the end of the day, until the sun slipped finally behind the tree line, Mrs. Turpin remained there with her gaze bent to the pigs. She's taking care of pigs and she's saying, how dare you say I'm one of these? At last she lifted her head. There was only a purple streak in the sky cutting through a field of crimson and leading like an extension of the highway into the descending dusk. She raised her hands from the side of the pen in a gesture that was profound. It's like she's, she's seeing something and she wants to see more. A visionary light settled in her eyes. She saw the streak as a vast swinging bridge, extending upward from the earth through the field like a living fire. Upon it, a vast horde of souls were tumbling toward heaven. There were whole companies of white trash clean for the first time in their lives and bands of black people in white robes and battalions of freaks and lunatics shouting and clapping and leaping like frogs. And bringing up the end of the procession was a tribe of people whom she recognized at once that like herself had always had a little of everything and given the wit to use it the right way. She leaned forward to observe them closer. They were marching behind the others with great dignity, accountable as they had always been for good order and common sense and respectable behavior. They alone were singing on key. Yet she could see by their shocked and altered faces, even their virtues were being burned away. She lowered her hands and gripped the rail of the hog pen, her eyes small but fixed unblinkingly on what lay ahead. In a moment, the vision faded, but she remained where she was. At length, she got down, turned off the faucet in her slow way on the darkening path to the house. In the woods around her, the invisible cricket choruses had struck up, but what she heard were the voices of the souls climbing upward into the starry field and shouting, Hallelujah. When you encounter the goodness of God in his presence, even your goodness gets burned away. The best part of you cannot stand in God's presence. Your goodness is nothing compared to him, right? We are all in the same boat, whether you're good or bad. When you meet him, you get taken over and (laughs) and all this stuff gets cast off until it's just you and him and nothing else. And it made me think of John the Baptist said, when Jesus comes, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And I thought, what if the fire is actually his goodness, not his wrath? We think of fire like God's angry and in his wrath, he's going to burn away all this stuff. He's like, no, 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 this is my goodness to you to burn away all of your goodness and your badness so that it's just you in the way that I originally meant you to be. And my goodness has to come in like a fire and purify you. All of your judgment, condemnation, all of your self-righteousness, all the things that you feel like you deserve toward your spouse or your kids or your coworker or your business partner, God just comes with his goodness and he goes, he just blows it all away. And he says, while you were yet a sinner, I died for you. I alone am good. His goodness overwhelms us and it rocks us 
at our core because we know that we deserve God's anger for the things that we've done and we know we don't deserve his goodness <laughs> at all and it just breaks something in us. So God's goodness for sinners, God's goodness for the self-righteous, and the last is God's goodness for the suffering, for those who suffer. And I realize this is a difficult thing. How do I sing the song of God in Babylon, right? The Israelites are like, how do we do this? How do we, how do we bless him and worship him when we've been thrust into exile? And uh, Lance asked me to share my, my story this week um, with a group of people, and it was just really powerful just to continue to talk about how God has met me in my suffering. And many of you know my first wife, Samantha, um, was killed in a car accident. And I was, uh, I was, I shared the story this week. I was riding in the car with Judah. And uh, it's amazing how kids can just pierce through to like really deep truths if you'll just give a chance. And we're riding in the car. And I had told Judah and Lena last year about Samantha and wanted them to know that fuller part of my story. And he goes, Dad, would I exist if Samantha hadn't died? Whew. I'm just driving. And I'm like, no, bud, you wouldn't. And he sits there and it's quiet. And he goes, so should I be happy that she died? Because he's trying to connect. <laughs> the goodness of his existence is clearly tied to the badness of death. And he's trying to hold, he's trying to figure out how do I hold both of these things that are true in my very existence? And I said, but I think of it this way. We're really sad that Samantha died. And we're really grateful that you're alive. And when everything in your life that is good can be traced back to something that's bad, you have to get into the real presence of Jesus where his goodness overwhelms all of it. His goodness is better than your bad and it's better than your good and it is all in all. It's just him. So it allows you to say, I don't know what to do with everything I've encountered, experienced, received, but I know you now in truth and I know you to be good. I know you love me. I know you love that person that I lost. I believe they're with you right now. If I could see into the heavenlies, <laughs> The goodness they experience 24-7 right now is just, it, it, I can't fathom it. God's goodness is real and it is on offer. <laughs> As Brennan Manning would say, it's like grace on tap is what the church has for the world. That's it. Come in and receive grace. And my question this morning, I'm going to invite the band Back up. What if we spent more time and effort getting into the presence of God, allowing his goodness to overwhelm us than spending our time and effort trying to be good? <laughs> right? What if we just redirected our effort from trying to be patient, peaceful, self-controlled, kind, gentle, faithful, into getting into the presence of a God who is all those things, has all those things for us? And I had this thought that like human good is mustard, right? It's I, I can make some good of my life. The goodness of God comes over you. <laughs> and it's like, like, we were praying in there and I just had this weird thought of the Nickelodeon. Remember when people get slimed? Anybody love that as a kid? You're like, oh yes, come on, get slimed. It's just like, just slime. And I was just like, God, slime us today with your goodness. Like, just, boom. 
room and you like, you can't get it off, you know, where you're like, I washed, but it's still there somehow, weirdly. And the goodness of God just wants to come over you. And when it does, your face will shine. You become good because you've been with him, not because you do good things. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm. So the sinner, the self-righteous, and the suffering all find salvation in their encounter with the goodness of God and his manifest presence. And the fire of his goodness burns away our sins and our suffering and our virtue. It, It takes all that stuff away until just you and him face to face. That's what happened to Moses. It was like Moses and God says they spoke as one spoke to a friend face to face. And you get to the point where you are like Paul, where you just say, whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of what? Knowing him. That's it. That's the point of life is to know him, see him, encounter him, experience him. So I want you to stand to your feet. I want you just to close your eyes real, real briefly. things over you. Your eyes are closed. Maybe you want to open your hands and just like open yourself to Jesus right now. Frederick Buechner said this, listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery that it is. In the boredom and pain of it, no less than in the excitement and gladness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it because in the last analysis all moments are key moments and life itself is grace he says it's gift and gift and gift (laughs) and if you allow it even your suffering transforms into gift and gift and gift when it is allowed for God to come in says again, a crazy, holy grace I've called it. Crazy because whoever could have predicted this, whoever could foresee the crazy how and when and where of a grace that wells up out of the lostness and pain of the world and of our own inner worlds and holy because the moments of grace come ultimately from farther away than Oz and deeper down than doom, holy because they heal and hallow. These moments of gift and grace and goodness, they heal us and they hallow us. They remind us of the sacredness of humanity, that God made you for himself. He made you to be holy. You're sacred. You are sacred to him. He hallows 
hallows you as an object of priceless worth. If there were a fire, he would run into his house and grab you. (laughs) You are what he would keep. You're accepted. You're God's child. You're a friend of Jesus. You've been justified. You're one with him in spirit. You've been bought with a price. You belong to God. You've been chosen by God, adopted as his child. You've been redeemed and forgiven of all your sins. You're complete in him. You have direct access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. You are free from condemnation. You are assured that God works good in all of your circumstances. You've been established, anointed, sealed by God. You're hidden with Christ in God. You're a citizen of heaven. You've not been given the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You've been born of God. The evil one cannot touch you. You're a branch of Jesus. You're a channel of his life. You've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. You are his temple. (laughs) He wants to live inside of you. You're a minister of reconciliation for God. You're seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realm. You are his workmanship. And you can approach him with freedom and confidence. (laughs) He's your Abba. When he is in his chair, he never gets upset when his kiddos run in the room and dive into his lap. Abba, Daddy. (laughs) You are his joy. His joy. His joy. And not only that, but right now you're standing in this room with clothes and shoes and friends and shelter and cars and jobs and family and children and spouses and parents and grandparents and abundant goodness. Jesus, thank you. You're good. Father, you are good. Jesus, you are good. Holy Spirit, you are good. Your goodness is astounding, overwhelming. It's overcoming. Mm. Yeah, Jesus. You feel it? It's goodness just washing. It says, deep calls to deep as your breakers (laughs) come over me. It's his goodness like the ocean waves just wants to crash over you. Jesus, come this morning and burn away. Burn it away, Jesus. 